Welcome to the first ever podcast, which is yet to be named. This podcast is about watching a show that you haven't seen before uh, and diving straight into a middle episode of the series and then giving your take on what that episode um, was or the reaction to that episode. Uh, I'm Zarar. I'm joined by Kate and Sana. Uh, who will help me decipher what we just witnessed in uh, episode 11, season one of Person of Interest, which is a show none of us have seen before. We may have seen trailers of it, um, or maybe on the subway you ha- you've seen a poster for it, but we've never actually bothered to watch the show. Um, so we decided to watch the show, except that we didn't start with episode one, season one. We dove straight into a deeper episode for what reason, we're not 100% sure, uh, but I feel the, our reactions to uh, episode 11 will hopefully yield some insight to those who are debating whether they should watch the show, or for any other people who may be wondering about this show. The show, again, is Person of Interest, um, and uh, it stars um, the guy from Lost. Uh, that That is really the only person that I know who was in the show, and... Uh, it's not even the main guy from Lost. So when you look at him in real life, it'll be, oh, it's that guy, the guy from Lost. Let's start with Kate. What did you know about the show before you actually started watching it? What I knew of the show was that it was a combination of the CIA and technology. I didn't realize at the time that it would have technology that identified criminals and acted as a lead generator for crime. Um, but here we are, knowing that a system is deciding our fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's interesting, because when I, when I saw the uh, opening uh, bit of the show, and uh, what you're referring to is called The Machine in this, uh, in this episode, uh, my mind immediately went back to Minority Report, the Tom Cruise flick, uh, which kind of... Um, certainly introduced this concept of a digital entity making uh, decisions which would result in people going to jail and so on. So immediately when I when, when I saw that concept at play here, I was like, oh man, that's uh, that's been done before, but let's see how these guys do it differently. Sana, um, your, uh, your reactions to, uh, your initial reactions to episode 11, season one, person of interest. So um, initial reactions are that uh, this is, uh, a much more basic form of technology. I did not compare it to Minority Report in the least. <laughs> um, especially after uh, some comments towards the end of the episode where there were questions around if the machine actually existed or if it was just one guy putting this stuff together on the side of his desk. Um, so questions there. But... Um, I think the main question I have is that we found out that the machine is like giving everybody a number, which then uh, is like somehow like computed within within a system and then you're tagged as a a person of interest or a threat. Uh, Knowing that, what do you think your number is? (laughs) 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 Do you think that the numbers are 
I've identified you first, therefore you are number one, or they're prioritized to be like you are threat level number one? I think it's a combination of factors that go into your number. And so based on that, like, what do you think your number would be? I think we should each give ourselves a number. <laughs> uh, so, so, is it, so right off the bat, you, you like completely dismiss this technology as like not being comparable to Minority Report. Uh, Kate, have you seen Minority Report? I have not. Cannot comment. Okay. So in Minority Report, uh, Tom Cruise is basically consulting some sort of computer to determine who to arrest next. Uh, and in this situation, that's kind of exactly what's happening. So how do you think it's different? Uh, personally, I think it's different because uh, there were a number of just uh, basic things that happened during the episode, which seemed uh, just not as uh, maybe advanced as what Minority Report kind of portrayed in the movie. So things like passwords being found on sticky notes and desks <laughs> and phones uh, from the 1980s, which you haven't seen like since like 1985. Um, various other things which just made you question uh, what was going on in, in, in within the episode. Um, just the the validity of the system itself, like basic questions around costing. If this this these people had built this impressive, you know, system, then why were they pricing it at one dollar to the government, which was stated within the episode? It was it was all very confusing. I think you bring up an interesting point about the phones and, and post-it notes with passwords on it because there was a traveling timeline throughout the episode. So I think we spanned from the year 2005 to 2012. Were there any years that you observed other than those two? I don't uh, think so. I, I did realize that uh, they really had to like uh, they, they they didn't just like flash the word 2012 2005 on the screen to tell you which year you're in. They literally had a scale which mm -hmm. moved slowly between 2005 and mm -hmm. 12, so the reader could maybe follow that we're going back in time. They didn't want to confuse the reader, so that kind of tells me that the the show was designed for maybe a uh, a, a, a lesser attentive user than Minority <laughs> Report. Mm. Yeah, uh, I definitely there. There were a few things within the show where um, maybe repeating certain things where it didn't really feel like an an episode eleven of a season. I I until the episode finished, I thought we were watching episode one <laughs> because there was so much recapping around what was going on in the show, like basic just saying things like, "Oh, the machine is tracking you," and you know, the, the machine does this or that. It seemed like they were trying to summarize uh, the show at every point just to ensure that they didn't lose uh, the, the viewer <laughs> through it. <laughs> uh, Kate, um, the, the show started with this one guy basically telling somebody who was already a doctor um, and paying them a lot of money and promising them a doctor's license, as Sana <laughs> pointed out during the show, who was already a doctor, uh, to perform some sort of surgery on this person who who came into the uh, to, to the doctor's office, like with like his chest cut open, and we never really saw what th th that thread never really got pulled in the rest of the episode. Or did you did you did you find that did you did you find any thread in that with the, with the first scene when the guy came in and the doctor's like operate on this guy, I'll give you all your money and I'll give you your license, even though you're already a doctor, operate on this guy. W what happened with that? 
You know, I think you ask a great question because we never really understood the severity of what the injury was. So all we saw was this guy come in, dump a huge bag of money on the table and say, you need to drop everything and and repair this man. Um, Throughout the episode, which I can only assume occurred over a period of two to three days, uh, this man was in a wheelchair and then quickly moved to roaming around on one crutch so <laughs> when i think about that i wonder what was he really in there for and and what was this injury that cost a couple hundred thousand dollars what was the amount of money on that table that he paid this non-doctor doctor mm-hmm. to perform the surgery so that was my only confusion about that thread maybe maybe this is one of the the tie-ins from a previous episode i'm thinking uh where we don't really know um, what, ha- like the importance of that that guy who came in in the beginning with the injury. I think maybe that character is a bit more important. I think there were some pills or something related to him, right? Where right? they were trying to throw um, the the FBI off of of where of what his whereabouts are, and so. Um, I think that maybe that's one piece that we might be missing something, but I'd I'd say that that's probably the only piece. Yeah, and and there's also one glaring thing that I found like general in the episode was that uh, like we're taught the 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 show opens up with like a, again as Sana said like a summary of the machine with like hey this is what the machine does by the way like in case you don't know in case you haven't seen episode one to ten <laughs> this is what it does. And the machine picks uh, a, a guy as a target, and that guy, uh, for our listeners <laughs> who uh, who follow Dexter, it's the uh, it's the detective from uh, Dexter. Uh, it's the uh, Spanish detector, uh, de- detective from uh, Dexter, mm-hmm. and uh, the machine immediately picks him as a target. And as we found out throughout the episode, that was the wrong choice. Yeah, he, the machine actually picked the wrong guy. Um, did you have a reaction to that, to, the, to, the, to this entity called the machine, which is supposed to be accurate, picking literally the wrong guy? You know, I thought to myself multiple times, like, what are the ethics around uh, a computer or a system that identifies a criminal? Already, there's a lot of problems with the current system, which is human identifying a criminal or a victim. But now we're being a little further past that point into a system. So I wondered that myself. Um, how didn't the the machine know that this man had a completely different identity than what it had originally thought he was? Mm-hmm. Where did they lose that gap? I'm not sure. Uh, the other thing I wondered along those same lines is that the way that the information was passed to the government around uh, people of interest was via... Uh, another post-it note with a with, with a nine-digit SIN number written on it. So I'm just I'm wondering: is that the best way of passing information? <laughs> and also, uh, did the government not question that maybe the people passing this information might be screwing with the information while they passed it over and directing them to the wrong people? whatever etc so that that seemed very loose to me again if we tie this back to minority report uh, another big difference that i would say i think you bring up a, a good a good question so we have finch the creator of the system we have mysterious i got shot in the chest and i'm now healed 
gentleman who knows the outline of the building and who is advanced. They are, I can only assume, not a part of the government, correct? Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. standalone. And then we have Carter, the black detective. What is the relationship between Carter and and these two and these two folks? Why hasn't the government decided to pursue this this technology? Uh, I, I think the the technology is owned by a private company. Uh, the machine is not part of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like three entities in here. There's the government, which is mm-hmm. again the police is part of it. The black detective that Kate talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the people operating the machine, mm-hmm. which includes Finch, and they appear to be a private entity of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the guy from House of Cards. Yeah, what was his role? Yeah, what because ent- he did ident- identify as a federal agent at some point. I so think we- he's the CIA. Yeah, he's he's yeah. the CIA. Is that the same yeah. guy from Lost? No, no, no. So not no. the guy at the beginning that you were like, oh my God, no. that Finch guy. is the guy House from of, Lost. House of Cards guy, not Lost guy. Okay, okay. The okay. House of Cards guy is the guy who's the FBI agent. In, in He yeah. came in the, maybe the second scene. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so we have three entities. We have the government or the, the police slash. Yeah, police. Yeah, police. police. Then you have yeah. the CIA, which did not play a major part in this episode. Yeah. And then you have the people operating the machine. Yeah. And uh, what Sana said earlier was that the, the the private company operating the machine is offering the machine services to the government for a dollar only because the creator or the CEO of the machine, there's only two guys associated with the machine, wants to do it for a good cause. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, do you think they have the best interest of the people in mind when they're offering it for a dollar? I mean, I think that they... It's not necessarily about the best interest of the people. It might be the best interest of themselves to to get themselves into the scope of the government and to create a larger reach and have more of a difference. Um, does that mean it's about the people? I don't know. Um, Sana, what do you what do you think? Um, I think maybe they're just not very bright people. <laughs> you know, so maybe they think they've done a really good job, but it's just crap. <laughs> So they're, you know, directing the police to the wrong people, but, um, or maybe they've got like a ton of bugs in the machine and they're trying to work through them. And so (laughs) So, uh, how, uh, how old do you think the machine is? Are we in alpha testing, beta testing, or this is a production quality software? Well, for, for this company, this would be production quality software, but, um, for anybody else, it would probably just be an alpha version. (laughs) So I think that's kind of what we're dealing with. But it doesn't seem like um, the police or anybody else uh, receiving this information really cares. Uh, They just kind of believe what they're told. Um, And so they're going to go with it. But uh, hopefully they they work out the kinks in the background, you know, (laughs) especially as they like maybe they'll do like a a retro on this dude who they, you know, wrong guy. But, you know, at least we figured it out in time. (laughs) Okay, so Finch has like this this crazy level of control over the system and not wanting people to to understand how it operates and and just wants to protect what he has created so people don't misinterpret his original intention. Tell me your thoughts on why you think he he wants that, especially on this topic of identifying criminal suspects. He, trust, he, he doesn't trust other entities 
to use it only to uh, identify suspects that it would normally identify. Because there's an earlier scene in this episode where a government official asks Finch, hey, can we focus this machine onto something we already know? And uh, and and the machine people were like, no, we can't just tell the machine to go focus on that. It only focuses on what it wants to focus on. So the fact that they said no in the earlier point in the episode, uh, when they easily could have said yes, if they, if they were really into market share or they wanted to get in, get in, get into a bigger government contract, they would, could have easily said yes to that. So that kind of cue, which is the only data point we have really about the, the, the morality of, uh, of Finch is that in the previous instance where he had a chance to act unethically or immorally, he didn't. Um, I, w- I wouldn't relate this back to ethics at all. I think that when they were posed that question, it was just based on sort of the inflexibility of the solution. Like maybe they're able to focus on to smaller areas in like phase two uh, of the software. And right now it just, um, it can't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like barely functioning as it is. <laughs> so uh, that ass was like a new feature. And he was like, hell no, man. That's like, like, you know, at least nine months out. <laughs> I think something to bear in mind in all of this is again, like the jumping timeline. So the original conversation with, the one individual who I forget his name or relevance, maybe lost character, maybe not, um, was 2005 and Finch being like, oh, I can I can uncode it right now for you and I can show you how we identified this person and, and we'll reveal all the information. Um, what point what is, was it at that they were saying that like the system just decides? Was that in 2005 or was that in 2012? Was this hmm. something that happened before and now has changed or does is this the current state of the system? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but that's a good question. I mean, the system has been in development for at least seven years based on this timeline. So we're beyond alpha and beta features at this point. That is true. That's true. So if you, if you bring that in, then... Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really remember when that conversation happened, but it seems like that's that is the current state of the machine to date, even in like 2012. Um, but again, if this is like one guy that's building this machine, and then he's also sort of the guy who's like on the road, actually <laughs> tracking suspects, I don't know how much he's actually getting done, right? So, so I think one of the reasons he was tracking suspects in this episode was because his partner was in a wheelchair and then on crutches and then fully walking within a span of three days. So I think we, we caught an episode, maybe he was forced into action. Mm, possibly yeah they did mention that he he was like i i don't yeah and he was eating that huge steak and his partner (laughs) was telling him not to eat yeah Yeah. so yeah it could be that we we caught uh an an episode where where that was sort of different but um at the same time i don't know if uh i I don't know if they're gonna show some like major feature updates of the machine through, you know, through uh, episodes or through seasons. Um, I think they want to keep it sort of, as they describe, a black box, and this is the way it works, and and that's it. But I think digging deeper into it, um, 
I don't know if it's it's that much of a morality uh, question, at least from my perspective, for the group developing it. I think it's uh, it's just more about what they can do. So why do we think that Finch was inspired to create this system in the first place? Like, what do you think was like the moment where he's like, this is my destiny and this is how this is this is it? So this is 2005 we're talking, right? So we're talking about a pre-iPhone world, a pre-Twitter world, a pre-Facebook world. Facebook came in 2004, I think, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or uh, Around that time, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But definitely pre-Twitter, pre-iPhone, pre-mobile world, uh, pre-data tracking world, really, right? I mean, at least it wasn't being tracked as as, as publicly as it is today. Uh, so if he came up with this idea, assuming the machine came up in 2005, which means it got developed in 2003, um, he is ahead of his time in terms of thinking, right? Because he's thinking about things in, in a way which is very different than anybody else, and he's also implemented it beyond anybody else. He basically is the Jeff Bezos I- extreme of his time. Right, which is saying a lot. So maybe to answer your question, I think it's just sheer ability. I mean, maybe he's one of those guys that has insane thinking ability and foresight ability where he's able to develop this when literally everybody else is like still playing Scrabble. I think you bring up great points about the origin of the system. Mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder if if Finch and his partner, who I don't know the name of, who got shot, if the two of them have brighter hopes and dreams for this system beyond its current capabilities, um, do you imagine a world where this technology is beyond just the U.S.? Or do you think that they're slowly, they're slowly trying to get past that point? Is it only in the U.S. right now, do we think? I think this is based in New York, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, just based on sort of the case that we saw, at least within this episode, part of me was like, if you have this really powerful technology, why are you using it on on these like kind of really small cases? Like, why aren't you using this on larger international crime or, you know, looking at key political figures to understand what's the threat level there versus like some dude in in an apartment, (laughs) right? So that was like, that was my confusion when I started watching it is that if you have this really amazing technology, can we use it for some larger, um, you know, larger issues that we're facing versus this um, like one guy in a bar with a gun, (laughs) which people will I mean, I'm sure somebody would have caught him anyway, right? If, if you if if you had the uh, this this technology at your disposal, which current affairs issue would you ask it to focus on? Well, that's a that's a good question. I think um, maybe one thing, like if if um, if the government is going to take the machine's recommendation so seriously that if they it says that you know this person is a threat for whatever reason they'll they'll take that person down then i would ask the machine to give me a threat level assessment of donald trump mhm yeah and then if it says you know this person is a threat then that would be a valid reason for him to be removed 
That's, that's why fair. not? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that that's a good one. Um, I see the Syrian conflict right now. I mean, I would uh, what's going on there with uh, Turkey invading Syria and uh, the U.S. pulling out, mm-hmm. and then basically. Uh, the Kurdish people aligning with Syria to form a, you know, resistance against Turkey with Russia in the mix. I would, uh, at, at least over the last two weeks, that's mm-hmm. been the hotbed political issue, at least. Yeah. Uh, so I think I would, I would maybe ask them to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. But that, that, that's really good. That, that's what really, I mean. That's a great point because if you have this technology, why mm-hmm. would you focus it on? Um, on something else yeah i mean yeah. It, it seems a waste right so what we know of this technology so far is that there are cameras implemented all around new york and that they're self-identifying these targets mm-hmm. what else do we really know of the system and how would it really aid in these two feats that you've both mm. identified would it have to get smarter than what we know of it today or mm-hmm. so I, I feel like um although they show they keep showing those cameras on people and and that that's a, a part of the input into the machine i feel like there's other inputs as well or i hope that there would be <laughs> versus just a camera on you <laughs> and if not then maybe that's something they need to look at but <laughs> Um, so I, I feel like, uh, knowing or hoping that there's other inputs going into the machine, then those inputs should be focused on certain, uh, at least, uh, well, maybe certain situations that are ongoing, like the, the Syrian ish, uh, conflict that we're facing right now, or certain individuals, um, or maybe any individual that get that gets voted into, you know, a, a public sort of um, office that they should have a, a threat level assessment done, just so you know what you're what you're faced with. Maybe that should be put onto the ballot when you go vote. Threat level, you know, twenty percent versus fifty <laughs> percent. <laughs> Uh, do you find that going because we have an election coming up in Canada in, in uh, on Monday mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we're going to go to the ballot box and we're going to see like three or four choices there and we're going to have to pick one. Um, do you think that that is would you rather vote on individual issues like uh, like, for example, in this episode, uh, we saw like how how much you can trust AI, like how much, how much leeway can you give AI? Can you take an answer from AI and just go, yes, no. Would you rather go to the ballot box and vote for a candidate who represents a bunch of issues? Or would you rather go to the ballot box and maybe vote on, instead of just four choices, maybe vote on like, I don't know, 15 or 20 things that you may have an opinion on, uh, which are a little more granular than just a guy. Right. Uh, do, do you guys have any thoughts on that? 100% would do want to do the latter uh, and vote on the issue itself and a collection uh, of questions, a collection of questions versus a candidate. Um, I, I think that most people don't really know 
or don't spend the time to understand what each candidate on a ballot stands for. You have sort of a high level understanding what the party is and what they stand for and you go in to vote for that. But maybe if you broke out the issues and asked the questions in a different way, people who think who may think they're conservative or liberal or something else, they they might answer the questions in a way that would land would land them with a with a different candidate than what they're thinking, and I, I think that that really um, it allows you to kind of um, say or at least um, vote for what what you actually stand for versus somebody who you may not know their total views. So yeah, one hundred percent. I think that um, it, for me, it would be the latter. I think if it had to be one or the other, I would definitely agree that the latter would be better. But I think the hardship with that would be like, what if you had two parties that both represented like the desire to like combat climate change? Um, and it's like party A is at 30% and party B is at 50. And you don't really know like what goes into that 30 or 50. And so you're like, okay, well, this person's doing more, but then they could only be doing like, really poor tasks to actually do anything to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So it would take like a, a very fine craft to make it be like voting on topics rather than just people and having to do that pre-research yourself too. Right. Because there could still be a ton of gray area in, in saying like, I represent this because mm -hmm. what does that really mean? It's never just one statement that can kind of give anyone an understanding of what will if the machine exists, is there a need to vote? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think something uh, Joe Rogan had once said really resonated with me in the sense that you can align to a bunch of different parties' positions in different topics. And I may agree with one thing that you do in each party, but that doesn't mean I fundamentally agree with your platform overall. Um, so there's still so much gray area because just because based on my answers, it's like when people take personality tests and then they spit out an answer like you are this personality type and you find ways to like fit yourself in. Um, it's not always like a definitive representation of who you are. Similarly, I think that that same thing could apply to voting in a sense of like, yes, you may align really well to these certain things but you still could have interests elsewhere and then you know what i mean i feel like there could be some gray space in that idea um though i don't think it's impossible yeah but i, I feel like the the gray space is not eliminated when you vote for just a single person mm -hmm. right so uh like between voting for a person and voting for issues, I still feel like you're going to be, it's going to be a truer sort of outcome if you vote for the issues versus the person, because most people don't even know where that person stands on all the multiple issues that you would probably answer as a part of the vote yourself. And, and that's what matters more. Like the gray area is going to be there either way. It's which one sort of, um, I guess, maybe addresses it the best and um, captures what what you stand for. And 
more accurately. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe if you answer those questions, then it would be more accurate. But the only other thing that I would say there is that if you made the vote more work, less people would go vote. (laughs) Like if it's like a multiple choice test, then I don't think people would show up. It's already hard enough for people (laughs) to to go vote, you know? (laughs) Would you want to live in a world where something like the machine exists? Um, I mean, to like my immediate answer to the question is a no. Um, but if I, maybe if I think about it a little bit more, um, well, it's still a no in terms of, I don't want anybody tracking me and watching me and, you know, especially if it's not working well, then God knows what's (laughs) going to happen. Right. (laughs) Um, but, uh, to be able to, um, especially when it comes to, um, certain political situations to have sort of the insights of an external system to weigh in and, and, um, use some of the emerging technologies that we have today, like AI to provide, another perspective on where threat lies. For sure, I think there is use cases there where it can be applicable, like more high risk situations. But in general, for 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 people across the board, I don't know if it warrants that kind of a, I don't know. So I guess my, 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 my answer is no. But I think maybe there are certain use cases, which would be applicable for this type of technology. Elaborating on the original question, do you think that we will get to a point where that is our reality? Absolutely not. I, I think we ha- we have the capability to do that today, even to some degree. I mean, it's always it's, it's it's the question of error rate, really. Like, what is the error rate in the future? What is the error if the error rate today is five percent in the future? It might be at one percent. So, what you're basically debating at this point is what is a good error rate. Uh, and do I feel comfortable with that? Uh, no, I think society will get there. We already are to a, to, to a lot of degrees there. Like we get, I mean, we, we have loans denied uh, because our credit rating is so-and-so and makes a predictive call on whether you're able to purchase this house. So I think to a lesser degree, we're already there. Uh, extending it to a criminal context is not necessarily that complicated. Uh, in fact, you might even argue it's less complicated because of the of the data inputs that go into determining what your criminal behavior is, at least how it's perceived by government. So, no, I think we're already there, and I don't want any part of it. Uh, why? Because at the end of the day, human beings are irrational, and a particular set of data will make its best guess on how you might behave, but it doesn't know for sure. And humanity is leaving that piece of doubt out there and giving the human being a benefit of the doubt. Because if we don't do that, then we're not really humans anymore. Um, Segwaying to something else. Uh, There was a line in the episode which reminded me of an incident from... um, about 20 years ago, uh, it was when uh, the main guy, Finch, Finch, the guy from Lost, mm-hmm. uh, he, made a, he made a joke that I think somebody asked him like a normal question and he went off on a tangent. And he's like, uh, you know, somebody threw me in the, uh, in the deep end of the swimming pool one day and I didn't know how to swim. 
I struggled for like whatever few minutes, but then I finally figured it out. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And when he said that, it reminded me of this time in Pahalgam, Kashmir, which you've been to. Beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Um, gorgeous place, I think. Yeah, you, you, yeah it you, is. You remember that, yeah. right? Uh, and one day we were swimming in the rapid rivers. And there was, a, there, was a, there was a calm in the rapid river where there was like a little pool there. And I was playing there. I was like maybe, I don't know, 12 maybe. And um, my cousin Sarah was there, who you met. Yep. And we were playing there. And we, we both jumped and we were swimming in this, in this little pond, which was in the middle of this rapids. And I started to go like to the deep end a little bit. And then Sarah came over and just grabbed me and pulled me over. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm rescuing you. And everybody in the pool was like, the other adults were like, oh, thank God, Sarah, for rescuing Zarar. He would have died otherwise. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, I didn't need to be rescued. I was fine. But to this day, that story has prevailed in my family that I was rescued by Sarah in Belgaum at age 12. That's what came back from that comment. So I, I totally lost track of the next five minutes because I'm like, God damn, Sarah, you don't need to do that. <laughs> um, Kate, you were taking a lot of notes during this, uh, this episode. Uh, is there anything that, uh, that kind of stuck out for you that you were like, man, like, what? So it was more so just trying to get an understanding of the different characters. So with... Uh, an example at the very beginning in 2005, Carter, the black detective, um, she was called out for lying to a federal agent, a string that was no longer revisited throughout the episode. Um, but this confrontation occurred. She called this person out for having done sloppy work when she had arrived to the crime scene. And so I wondered the backstory of of what Carter was doing when she was lying to this federal agent, but it was more so just details of characters. What has happened? Why have you gotten here? Why was Finch limping? Do we know? No. I assume I that Finch so. was limping yeah. as a result of the other guy getting shot in the chest and they likely were together. Uh, again, on the theme of recovery from injury, uh, I, I've seen the previews of the show, like commercials for it, and I'm pretty sure Finch at one point was in a wheelchair. Mm. So maybe his limping is a recovery from the wheelchair he was in at some point. Mm. But mm. your other point, the, the, the one about the, the detective, uh, it's a completely undeveloped character. The only, the only thing I can think of is that maybe they were developed over the last 10 episodes and mm-hmm. we're seeing the end product. Mm-hmm. Because in this episode, you saw nothing on what that person was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who is it that she arrested at the very end? Uh, that was the person of interest that um, he, he'd lost his house and his family. Oh, and they yeah. said it was like a high risk threat that he was going to do something bad. Mm-hmm. And then he came in. Oh, right. He was standing outside the bank where his home was like foreclosed from. So, so, so wait a minute. So yeah. again, again, thank you for mentioning yeah. that. Because on one hand, we have this, the, 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 the machine identifying the wrong person. Yeah. And then on the other hand, in the same episode, we have the detective very convincingly arresting a person 
who the machine identified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Because we just saw the machine do the wrong thing. Yeah, I don't think the point of the show is that the machine is broken. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it definitely does give uh, certain um, people that are that are right and actually are going to commit some kind of a crime, which uh, which we saw one in episode eleven. But um, so I, I think it's just it's a mixed bag of stuff. Still, mm-hmm. like I said, they're working through the bugs. <laughs> Maybe in season two, things are a bit better for them. So we're at 45 minutes of this uh, uh, inaugural podcast uh, of this yet-to-be-named show. Uh, and I guess a couple of questions to round things off uh, is, let's go around the, let's go around the table here. Um, Sana, we'll start with you. Um, would you, based on what you've seen in season one, episode 11, recommend person of interest to a friend you care about and number two would you watch the show yourself as well i guess they could be the same answer but what what are your what are your thoughts there um so as a basic premise or the the basic plot line of the show i i do think um it's one that's interesting maybe it's been done before for sure it's been done before um but it still is is interesting. Interesting enough that I would recommend the show to somebody, but uh, probably in a similar way that we've kind of watched it here is like, just like pick a random episode and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll watch another episode. I mean, I don't think I was bored um, at any point in the show. Uh, it kept my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, uh, there were a couple of characters that it was, it was good to see from other shows, um, which I'd seen like Dexter and Lost and House of Cards. Um, so that's always, that can be a plus. Um, I have some questions that, that need to be answered. Maybe. What, what are some of the, maybe what are your top two questions coming out of the show? Yeah. So I think one of them is just that, uh, um, like what exactly is the machine? Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy that last bit of the episode where uh, they alluded to the fact that there wasn't actually a machine and it was just a guy. Um, that would be kind of not okay. Um, so I'm hoping that that, uh, that gets clarified soon. And I think maybe the the second thing is um, just based on the episode we watched and seeing that the machine identified somebody that was not um, correct. Like, is that really what the show is about? Is like how things go wrong <laughs> with this machine? Because that would be kind of interesting, right? Instead of like uh, a plot line where they're always chasing people that you know are actual person of interest. Like, what if the machine always gives the wrong person? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like up to them to figure out like who the actual person is. <laughs> yeah, so um I'd like to understand that. Um in general, uh myself I likely wouldn't watch another episode. Um I feel like I understand the premise and basis of the show based on that one episode and 
as much as I'm interested to see how this machine evolves over time, over the course of however many seasons there are, um, did it really grab my interest enough that I would want to? Um, I don't think so. I think there are other um, operative shows out there where they're trying to identify a criminal and the way they've outlined the story and the plot of like what that crime was um, are far more captivating and um, digestible than this than this show was. Um, some major questions I have is are um, how many people in the population have their phone number as their Wi-Fi password. Um, that was alluded to in the show. And and oddly enough, it was also alluded to tonight here. Um, not that anyone here has their Wi-Fi password as their phone number, but um, just a conversation topic, of course. And secondly, um, there was also a comment made about um, 76% of women that are murdered are stalked first before being murdered. So will the machine get to a point where it can preventatively stop the people stalking the women who are about to be murdered instead of identifying them as a criminal later? Um, yeah, I just want to just add something in here. It seemed pretty obvious who was stalking that woman, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the episode mm-hmm. and the machine got the wrong guy. Yeah. So that just, yeah, just want to just mention that little tidbit. Yeah. yeah. Very good yeah. call out, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. what about, what about you, Zarar? What are your? Well, 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 I'd say a lot of people, like, for example, if your neighbor saw your Wi-Fi pass, Wi-Fi network and he connected to it, uh, I don't think he necessarily would know your phone number. So I would say the Wi-Fi is secure enough <laughs> <laughs> that it should be okay. Uh, would I recommend this show to uh, anybody? I, I think this is a great show to watch just as background noise or if you're like super baked and you just want something to do and just laugh at something, this is a great show. Um, I think some of the ridiculousness that Sana pointed out earlier about how bad the machine is kind of adds to the humor of the machine. It's just that... Uh, during this show, it took me a while to get to the point to the like when the f- show first started, I was like, oh, my God, the machine's amazing. Like it can do all these kind of things. <laughs> and as you went through the show more and more, you're like, this thing sucks. <laughs> right. So I think when when I start the next episode, if I watch it with the mindset that's machine kind of sucks and we'll get things wrong and we'll put the people using the machine in very dangerous situations. Uh, I, I, I think I, I, I could see myself watching it as, as part of that 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 criteria of show that you know it's it's like in the bachelor of Par- bachelor in paradise territory of uh, mm-hmm. of tv mm-hmm. watching for me it's it's pretty pretty low down there yeah <laughs> yeah no i um i can't i can't not agree with that um i think that um this for me ranks a little bit higher than a show like a designated survivor i would put it in sort of the same mm-hmm. grouping mm-hmm. uh but so far and we watched several episodes of designated survivor but um it never really hooked me i mean it hooked me at times but really uh, the whole time i was watching it i was just waiting for um the main character to turn back into jack bauer and that never happened <laughs> like uh, so was there a character that either one of you were sort of rooting for during this uh, 45 minute episode someone someone that 
if, if you didn't root for, maybe you cared about a little bit more? Uh, for me, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Sorry. Okay. That's, uh, that's a straight Zero point. answer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kate. Um, good question. Um, I think I'm I'm the most intrigued by Finch. Um, Finch, the creator of the system, has this this vast knowledge and understanding of what it's meant to do and its future. And um, I'm just I'm I'm interested to understand more about Finch's past and. And how Finch has come to to be where he is. Um, so of all the characters, he was the one I was the most interested to have a subplot about. What about you, Zerar? Um, I guess the one that I wanted to know a little bit more about, only because I've seen him in House of Cards, and uh, I know he's a very, very good actor, um, was the... Uh, the CIA agent, right? Because as soon as like he was introducing the show, I know Sanai and I had a reaction like, ah, shit, this is going to be great. Cause it's got that guy in it. Um, it's just that guy, just based on his history with me, I was like, I expected a little bit more. So if I tune in, I'd probably keep an eye on, see what that guy's up to. Uh, but for sure, Finch is probably the most interesting one there. Uh, any parting thoughts before we uh, wrap the first podcast up? Um, so I, I wrote down one line from the show, which I was like, that's not a bad line, but this, this will give our, our listeners sort of, a you know, gauge on how good this show is and if they should watch it. And the line I wrote down is coffee is for closers. (laughs) 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 So yes, I'll, I'll leave you guys with that. What a way to close. <laughs> um, coffee is for closers is an amazing line. Uh, it does come from Glengarry Glen Ross. Does it? Yes, it does. Uh, but was it coffee in Glengarry? Coffee is for really? closers comes from Alec Baldwin when yeah. he visits the real estate office and he tells Jack Lemon, mm-hmm. who is making a coffee while Alec Baldwin is giving a speech on okay. the importance of closing. And he gets up to get a coffee, and Alec Baldwin goes, put the coffee down. <laughs> and Jack Lemon goes, <laughs> what do you mean coffee? He continues to pour. He goes, put the coffee down. Coffee is for closers. All right. I did not know that. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> And with that, we'll wrap up the first episode of this yet-to-be-named podcast. Once again, we reviewed Season 1, Episode 11 of Person of Interest. Thank you to Sana and Kate for their valuable opinions. We'll come back to you whenever we want to Cruelty Hardly Becomes me This game Cruelty